Good morning. We are reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Again, that's 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. If you're using one of the Black Bibles from the back, it's on page 1015. And as I read, let's remember that we are reading God's word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing this study of First Peter. It's written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' core disciples, spent a lot of time with Jesus, and is writing this letter to a group of Christians that are scattered abroad. And, and the, the reason he gives in chapter 5, he says that the reason he's writing this letter is so that God's people would stand firm in the grace of God. There's a lot of different things that come against the people of God, that, that challenge the people of God, both from uh, internally, the sin and the things that we're dealing with, as well as the external pressure and, and persecution and suffering and pain that happens. And, and Peter writes this letter to say, stand firm. He tells us that we have an incredible identity as the people of God. Flip back to chapter 2, verse 9. What, what an incredible passage that, that describes who we are as God's people, the privileged status we have as the people of God. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Right? God sees his people and he goes, mine. He's thrilled about that. It says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are as the people of God. And and Peter writes to say, stand firm in that identity. No matter what comes against you, stand firm. And the section following that, what we've been looking at over these last few weeks, is is the way that he says, now here's how I want you to live that identity out in the world. You're going to live it out through modeling humility, through modeling servanthood modeling submission. And so the rest of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is him saying, be subject to the government authorities. Masters, be, or slaves, be subject to your masters, kind of the employee-employer type relationship. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then uh, the next section he's going to lead us into 
is a section on suffering and how to deal with, with people who are persecuting you and speaking ill of you for your faith. And so what we're looking at today is kind of a hinge uh, passage. It sort of finishes this idea of, of submitting and humility, and then it launches us into this new idea of suffering that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. I think the, the most helpful way that I've found to think about this passage is this passage is describing our family business. If we're the family of God, if we're the people of God as followers of Christ, by his grace, then, then we have a family business. How many of you are working or work for or have some connection to a family business? A few of you? Maybe self-employed, maybe, maybe a parent or an uncle or a cousin or somebody. Maybe you married into a family-type business. Family businesses are a significant part of our economy. You know that family businesses, statistics say, generate 60% of our country's employment and 78% of new job creation, family businesses. A lot of them are you know, individual startups and self-employed type situations. But 35% of Fortune 500 companies are family businesses, are still owned and operated by families. Um, the odds of a family business getting passed along and continued through the generations is very small. Only 30% of family businesses go from the first generation to the second. Only 12% go to a third, and only 3% go to a fourth. So the odds of a family business sort of going along is, is, is challenging. But there is one family business. The long, do you know what the longest-running family business in the history of the world has been? What country would you guess it's from? No one willing to... It's from Japan. Osaka, Japan, is a construction company called Kongo Gumi. Hope I'm saying that right. Was founded in 578 AD and just recently in 2006 merged and, and gave up sort of ownership of that. That's 1,400 years of running a family business. So they beat the odds, I think you could say. And what I want to tell you today is that we're part of a family business. As, as the people of God, God has some things for us to do. He, he has a job for us to do, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. And, and it's a job that's lasted longer than 1,400 years. It's the thing that the people of God have always done since God began to use them. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And I hope that today is encouraging. Some messages I know beat you up a little bit. Uh, this is one I hope kind of nurture you and, and, you know, balm you up a little bit, especially if you're experiencing some, some hardship and difficulty. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about uh, our family traits. Then we're going to talk about our family business. And then we're going to talk about the reality that not everyone likes our family. Okay? And that's kind of the big idea today is that God's family is in the business of blessing, but not everyone will like it. We're in the business of blessing. That's, that's the business that not everybody's going to like it. So first, let's look at our family traits. Uh, he describes them in, in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, finally, all of you. Now, right, remember, up to this point, he'd been addressing specific groups of people. He addressed, he addressed servants, and then he addressed wives, and then he addressed husbands. And now, blanket, umbrella category, all of you. Finally, all of you. He's finishing this section on humility, on servanthood, on having a selfless attitude. And he says, this is the attitude, these are the qualities that everyone in the family should have. Now, I think about family traits, right? And, and some of you, you can just see your kids and you know, okay, that, that kid's connected to her. That kid's connected to him. People will often look at my kids and say, wow, they look like you. 
And I'm not sure whether that's a compliment. But I think they got enough of their mom that hopefully, you know, that they'll make it through life okay. But, but you can tell a family they have these traits. And here are the traits that the people of God are supposed to have. He says, first, uh, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity of mind means harmony. And, and this is a good idea that, that it's not the same. Harmony is not same, but it's united, okay? So, so he's having u- unity of mind. Think in a harmonious way. Don't be divisive. Don't backbite. Don't slander. Don't tear down. Have some unity. Have some harmony. I love the idea that harmony is not the same, right? Harmony is when different people are singing in a different way, but with the same kind of heartbeat, and it comes for it comes together to create a more beautiful sound than if everyone was just singing the same note. And so we are a diverse group of people. We're different in ages. We're different in ethnicities. We're different in backgrounds. We're different in a lot of other subcultures. But we're called to be united, to have harmony with one another. It comes from love. All of this really is connected to love. The second one is this, sympathy. Have sympathy. The idea of sympathy here is not just sort of looking from a distance and going, wow, I kind of feel bad for you. But, but what this word means is really the idea of feeling the person's pain with them. So not just seeing a person going, oh, wow, you're unemployed. I'm sorry. That eh, stinks. Good luck with that. But, but putting yourself in their shoes, having sympathy. Then there's brotherly love. And brotherly love has been talked about before. If you go to chapter 1, verse 22, Peter had talked about this there. He said, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is mutual affection. This is, this is seeing yourself as family. That, this is why we're talking about it as a family business, because it's brotherly love, sisterly love. Now, a lot of you have screwed up families, right, where you go, I hate my sister, or I hate my wife's sister, or something like that. And so you I have enough family. Well, the family of God is a unique thing. It's supposed to be a beautiful thing that shows a picture of God's grace to the world. So we're to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. Tender heart is the idea of, 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 of compassion, of understanding. Again, it's similar to this idea of sympathy. All these things seem to be working together. And then finally, humble mind. It means literally low-mindedness. And this idea of humility is, is praised throughout the scripture. It's contrasted all the time with pride. Pride is thinking of yourself as more important than you are. Uh, humility is not really thinking of yourself much. C.S. Lewis famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Here's how the Proverbs describe it. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Now, that seems backwards to how we understand the world. You don't typically get ahead by, by, by just being humble and self-forgetful. You, be, you get ahead by promoting and, and, and by uh, exalting yourself. And so this, is a, this, is, this whole idea is very countercultural to the world. To a degree, the world looks at these things of unity and sympathy and love and, and, and wants that sort of at a surface level. But what God is calling us to, the traits of the people of God, is to have that at a deep level. When I read this passage, I think of the word genuine. And genuine love is different than just being nice. I think sometimes that's what we think Christianity is. is, is just a call to be nice. Be nicer. I don't need to go to church. 
I already know I'm supposed to be nice. Well, there's more to it than that. There's a, there's a call to genuine love. And this, this kind of love, this genuine uh, care and concern for someone, it can only come if you've been loved like that. And we have been loved like that in Jesus. And so he, he models that as, as what the Scripture calls our elder brother. And so th- to have this family trait, this family condition of love, it's a genuine idea. So that's our family traits. What is our family business? Well, he begins to talk about that in verse 9. Our family business. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. He says some people are going to speak against you. They're going to uh, treat you evil. They're going to revile you. And and revile there means to speak evil of you, to, to tear you down, to speak ill of you. And he says rather than returning people's evil actions and evil words with evil and, and reviling in return, return it with blessing. Blessing. The word bless means good words, sound words, healthy words. And so it has with it the idea of our words. It also has with it the idea of behavior that is praiseworthy, behavior that is God-honoring. We are to bless. And the reason we say this is the family business, do you see it there in verse 9? On the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. You were called to bless. You've been blessed by God, therefore your identity as the people of God is to bless. You're blessed to be a blessing. God blesses us in remarkable ways, doesn't he? He blesses us with food and shelter. He blesses us with money and recreation. Many of us get to vacation and enjoy pleasure and enjoy recreation and enjoy all sorts of things. God's blessed us incredibly. Scripture tells us that every good gift is from above. We should enjoy it. We shouldn't scorn ourselves for being blessed. But the Scripture always says, this theme runs constant throughout the Bible, that you're blessed to be a blessing. It's wonderful to experience God's grace. It's wonderful to experience the blessing of God. It's evil to have it stop with you. You're blessed to be a blessing to this you were called, he says, that you may obtain a blessing. See, what happens is when you, when you experience the blessing of God and then you pour it out on other people, you get more blessing to pour out on more people. Now think about this for a moment. If you're God and you're trying to bless the world, you're trying to bless the world with, with common grace, good things that everyone can enjoy, you're trying to bless the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, if you're God and you're trying to do that, Who are you going to use to do that? You're going to use people who are like a hose of blessing, right? They're just a hose. They're just a conduit. God says, I put blessing in here. It comes out there. So I'm going to just keep pouring more. If it becomes like a reservoir where I just pull all the blessing up for me, God's going to go, I don't, I can't, I can't do much with that. We're blessed to be a blessing. To this we were called. 
And then Peter quotes from Psalm 34. He's got Psalm 34 in his mind throughout this book. He quoted from it earlier in the book saying, if you've tasted and seen that God is good, that comes right from Psalm 34. And so maybe he's meditating on this chapter. Maybe that's the thing that's kind of stirring in his heart as he writes this. And so he quotes from Psalm 34 in verses 10 through 12. And he says, listen, this idea that that you're blessed and you're called to this, this isn't a new idea. This has been the way it is forever. This has always been God's family business. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. One of the key ways that we bless is with our tongue, with our mouth. Scripture has a lot to say about that. With the tongue, we can tear people down in really hurtful ways. And with the tongue, we can build people up in real important ways. We're to bless. And the scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So are you a person that fills your, your place of work, your family, your friends with encouragement, with blessing? Or is your heart ungrateful and bitter And therefore, that's what comes out. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Everybody wants peace. Yeah, who's for peace? Everyone. Pursue it. Right? Where are the relationships in your life and in, in the people around you that, that are fractured? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with them. Pursue it. So this blessing is not just our words. It's also our action. It's our, the things we pursue. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, God is looking for conduits of blessing. He's looking for for people that he can pour blessing on and because of their righteousness he knows that they'll extend it. His face is on them. His eyes are toward them. But those who do evil, those who live for themselves, right? And that's what the root of sin is, right? The root of all disobedience is selfishness. It's living for yourself. That's what evil is, 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 is turning what, what God says is right and good into what you think is right and good and living for that. And, and when you do that, you cut, you know, you're folding the hose, and God says, I don't have anything else to pour in there. So it's just stopping on you. We need to repent of that and turn from that. Our family traits are to be Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, and to be people in the family business of blessing. Now, this business has gone on as long as the people of God have gone on. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, we read about Abraham. At that point, he's called Abram, and and God calls him. And God says, listen, I'm going to form a great nation through you. Here's what he says. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. Abram, go where it's uncomfortable and unfamiliar. Well, God, why would I do that? That sounds crazy. Why would I leave everything that's comfortable and familiar? He says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. 
And, and what's interesting is prior to this, in Genesis chapter 11, was the Tower of Babel. And it was the place where the people were building a big tower that reached up into heaven to declare that their name was great. And God says, no, I'm going to scatter you. And he scatters them and, and gives different languages. And then right after that, he comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But it's not just for you. It's not to stop on you. It's so that you will be a blessing. And he says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and what this promise is, is I'm going to create a new people. And that new people became the nation of Israel. That's why the Jews would call Abraham their, their father. But, but all nations are blessed. All the families of the earth. I don't know how many of you are here today that are, are ethnically Jewish. I'm guessing a very small number. And, and your ethnicity comes from, who knows, all kinds of different other places. And yet you worship at the feet of Jesus. You've been blessed through Jesus. You, you're part of this promise. Later on, I love the, the place where uh, God tells Abram, go look out at the stars. And that's how many descendants you'll have. There's a great song by Rich Mullins called Sometimes by Step. And he says, sometimes I think of Abraham, how one of those stars had been lit for me. It's a great line. We've been blessed to be a blessing. It's not just Abraham. It happened with Joseph. We looked at Joseph this summer. Joseph was the one who was kind of this younger brother, favorite of his father, and all the older brothers resented him and hated him for it and, and tried to kill him and then said, eh, let's not. Let's just sell him into slavery to Egypt. And so he's sold off into slavery, endures all kinds of hardship there, and then through God's grace and through a bunch of God's working, he ends up elevated to this place of real importance. And there's a famine going on in Egypt, and, and, and Joseph is elevated to like vice president of Egypt sort of and, and has the opportunity to open oversee this whole food program and everyone all over the world then is coming to him saying help us get food and his brothers come the brothers that had sold him into slavery and they come and they don't know that it's him they they think he's long gone and long dead but they come and they ask for food and and rather than saying no you, you treated me evil he says what you meant for evil god meant for good and i'm going to keep blessing you and when it finally comes out who he really is, he blesses them and he gives them good land and good things and good blessing for their flock because the people of God are in the family business of blessing. Think of Esther. Esther was this queen during the Jewish exile and uh, she, was, she was raised up, kind of an unlikely figure, this Jewish girl, but very beautiful. And she's raised up uh, to, to be the queen, married to this very ungodly man. And, and there's this persecution that's going to happen to her people, the Jewish people there in exile. And, and she's raised up for such a time as this. She's challenged by a family member, says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you, have, whether, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, you've been blessed. You've been elevated to this place. It's not just for you to look pretty and be important. It's for such a time as this. And God has placed each of us, it says in Acts chapter 17, that God has determined the boundaries of our dwelling so that people would seek his face and find him. 
And God has put you in the place he's put you. He's put you in Queen Creek or in Gilbert or in Apache Junction or in East Mesa or wherever he's put you. He's put you there to be a blessing to those people. This is how God works. We see it, the family business continue in Jesus. Jesus does this. Paul writes about it, the apostle writes about it in Philippians chapter 2. And notice at the beginning of this passage how similar it is to what Peter's written about the family traits in, in, in 1 Peter 3. Paul writes, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right there you get the harmony. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And there's humility let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You go, well, how can I do that? How can I live that way? How can I have that kind of power? He continues. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, in Christ Jesus, this is your new DNA. Now, we resist it because of our sin, and we start dividing up, and we start mistreating people. But if we are consistent with who we've become in Christ as new creatures, adopted sons and daughters into his family, this is ours in Christ Jesus. But he describes Jesus and how Jesus was blessed to be a blessing. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the Son of God. He's equal with God. He has all the rights of God. He's blessed. He lays that aside to be a blessing. So that at the end of this passage, what he says is so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's blessed to be a blessing. This is our family business. Are you in the business? Are you a, are you a conduit of God's blessing and grace to those around you? Or are you a reservoir and it stops with you? I've been to the Dead Sea in Israel the Dead Sea is really remarkable. If you know anything about it, it's, it's incredibly salty. It's like way saltier than Salt Lake, much saltier than the ocean. And when I went there, they said, um, you know, when you go to the Dead Sea, you can float. I thought, really? That sounds cool. Here's the deal. It's not that you can float. You must float. Like you can't, you can't not float. It's so salty and so many minerals and so many things in there. But you know what's not in there? Life. Hence the Dead Sea, right? You know why there's no life in there? Because there's no outlet. The Sea of Galilee, north of it, is, is filled with life, filled with fish, filled with vegetation because it has an outlet. In the Dead Sea, water flows in, but it stops. It's dead. And if we live that way, if the blessing we receive from God, our time and our talent and our treasure, if that ends with us, we die on the inside. This is our family business. Now, can you imagine this kind of idea that people would be 
the, the people of God would be, would be blessing, would be looking for opportunity to love and to serve and to give and to speak encouragement. Can you imagine what that would do? Well, Peter says, I can imagine what that would do. And it may not do everything you think because, number three, not everyone likes our family. Now, some may, but some may not. And Peter's hinted at this all throughout the book. Let me just give you a, a brief survey of this. In chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Peter says, uh, he, he's, given us a preview, he's given us little previews along the way that, that we're going to face opposition. Verse 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Chapter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 19 of chapter 2. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he said, you're going to have times when people do evil and, and revile you. And now he's beginning this section. This is going to take us the next couple weeks to sort of look into this, where he's saying, not everyone will respond to you the way you'd hope. Some will respond positively. That's kind of the gist you get from verse 13. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Right? It's sort of a rhetorical question. Like, if you're out there blessing and loving and serving and encouraging everybody, who's going to not like that? Right? And that's how most of us would think. Right? Most people would be really encouraged and blessed by that and think, oh, that's great. But not everybody. Some won't think it's very good. Some will shut down, and some will actually then start to persecute you for it. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In other words, you're going to be righteous. You're going to be pursuing God. You're going to be trying to love people and be a conduit of his blessing and grace. And some people are going to go, I hate that. What, do you think you're better than me? I know what you used to be like. <laughs> I know the real you. You've changed all that much? I don't know about that. Right? Some people respond, oh, that's great. Some people go, I don't think so. I get this when I am um, in social situations with new people, and, and they'll ask me, what do, you, what do you do? I go, I'm a pastor. And some go, oh, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. What's that like? And they want to ask questions about, man, public speaking, what's that? And, that? and so some people react that way. More people, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Okay, Cool. <laughs> Like, and I don't know what it is. I, I mean, so, so now what I do is I, if someone asks me that question, I say, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Which is, that, that intrigues them, right? What, why? Why don't you tell me? Well, because you're not going to want to talk to me. If I tell you, you're not going to want to talk. And they go, no, no, I, I promise I won't. Then I tell them, and they're like, yeah, you were right. I don't want <laughs> So people react differently. Many will like you if you bless them. And Peter here tells us many won't. And this is important. I think sometimes, uh, especially with people that see the, the ineptitude of the American church, there are people who go, if we could just be more like Jesus, if we could just be more like Jesus, if we could just be more on mission like Jesus, if we could just be more like the early church, every, everyone flocked to Jesus. They also murdered him. The Puritans would say that the same son that melts the ice, hardens the clay. So some people experience the people of God, this family business of us blessing as the, 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 the aroma of life and others the stench of death. 
And so Peter says, don't be surprised if, if not everyone receives this the way you hope. But don't fear them, he says at the end of verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, remember in these moments when people are coming against you for righteousness' sake, that's important, by the way. It's not people are coming against you because you've been a fool to them or because you've sinned against them. It's, it's you're actually being righteous. You're, your righteous behavior and life and words is standing out, and there's something in them that they just don't like that. He says, when that happens, don't fear them, but set, a, set apart Christ as holy, as the Lord, as holy in your heart. In other words, determine at that moment who you're living for. Are you living for the approval of people or are you living for the approval of Jesus? Whose, whose eyes are on the righteous, whose face is against those who do evil. Who are you living for? So, so, so in that moment, and, and, and believe me, that's way easier said than done. When a parent, when a child, when a friend turns their back on you, because you're just not who you were. That hurts. And the only way to get over that is to set apart Christ, the Lord, as holy in your heart. So that's the first thing, is, is don't fear the people. Honor the Lord. He says also, be ready. Verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, some people are going to come and they're going to they're going to say, "What's up with this? What's up with this new way of your living? I, I don't I don't understand it." He says, "Be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Give it with gentleness. Give it with respect. But be ready." Now, there's two problems I see that that we tend to face as it relates to this verse. One is, a lot of us don't live lives of blessing in such a way that anyone's asking. There's a guy in our redemption community, Jeff, and it's so exciting because when you hear his story of how God has worked in his life, what you realize is he saw someone else that he worked with, and he saw their character, and he saw the way they handled things, and he finally went to him, and he said, there's something different about you. What is it? And the guy didn't wimp out and say, oh, I was just raised this way, or oh, it's kind of my personality. No, it was Jesus. I've been blessed by Jesus, and I'm going to be a blessing to him, and that's the answer. And that was so intriguing that he began, that Jeff began to pursue a relationship with God. And, and that's what we're to be as the people of God. When was the last time we were asked, what makes you different? And sometimes it'll come with that kind of inquiry, and other times it will come with an attack of, what do you think is so special about your faith? And that's why he says, answer with gentleness and respect, but be prepared, have an answer. And then keep being a blessing. Don't let this stop you. Don't let this slow you down. I, I think we get that from verse 16 where it says, having a good conscience. In other words, you're going to keep doing what's right. You're going to keep doing what's good. You're going to have a good conscience. You know that, that, that you're being persecuted for your obedience, and you're not going to stop in the face of that obedience. You want to do it even more boldly. Verse 16, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, you're not going to try to shame anyone, but you're going to just let your actions do the talking. But you're not going to stop. You're not going to quit. You're going to keep 
going. I, I love what happens in the book of Acts in chapter 4. There's all this persecution that's coming against the church. And they gather to pray. And, and, and they, they pray this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to stop facing this persecution. Wait, that's not what it said, is it? It says, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with boldness. When we face hardship, we go, God, get me out of this. When what we should do is go, God, give me the strength to keep being faithful in this. Keep going. Be faithful. To this you were called. And there's blessing here. It's only if you have this godly perspective that you can think this way and live this way. Verse 17 is this perspective. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Listen, if you do evil, if you, if you go, you know what, I'm just walking away from this. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to sin. You'll suffer for that. The consequences will catch up with you. Those around you will suffer. James McDonald, the pastor, says, choose to sin, choose to suffer. You choose to do evil, you're going to suffer. What he's saying here is if you choose to do what's right, you might suffer too, but that's better because you, you have the confidence, the assurance that God's face is on you and you're doing what you were called to do and you're carrying on the family business. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this calling you've given us Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be a blessing. God, I pray that we could be a conduit of your grace. God, with our time and our energy and our money and our prayer and our love and our compassion, God, could we, could we be a blessing? To that we were called. We're blessed to be a blessing. God, we want to do that even when people speak against us. And so I pray now, God, for the people who are here and who are experiencing the, the hardship of persecution. And it may not be like it is in other places and in other countries, but to them it's very real in this moment. And I pray that they would set apart Christ the Lord as holy and they would experience your faithfulness and they would keep going and keep being bold and keep being strong, that your name would be honored. We pray that in Jesus' great name. Amen.